I got to apologize. I own it. I'm sorry. I wish I had never said you don't have to pay your state taxes. You can quote unquote, just keep all your money and not tell them. That's not true. Wish I'd never said it. Wish I'd never believed it. You can't just keep all your money and not tell them. The collection methods give them away as keen readers of Iceberg Slim, determined to get paid their outstanding invoices. It's a keystone element of their sense of personal pride. They're gonna get their money. I need some kind of bone to throw them. The show is virtually free, but there's a PayPal tip jar, and you can figure out how to use it if you're smart enough to listen to the show. I have a bachelor's degree. I'm not for everyone. Send me some money, give it to Kate Chung, or simply wire it to the California Franchise Tax Board. But do something. It's not a donation. It's an investment. In this time of discontinuity, continually exacerbated tensions, wedges of black swans, you may feel at times, some of the time or perhaps all of the time, that you have been or are unlucky. Maybe you feel like you're on a losing streak. Maybe no matter what happens, you find yourself dissatisfied. Maybe you've gotten the crap kicked out of you, or you want to blow up your life just to see what happens. You look around and you see a lot of people getting the crap kicked out of them, or blowing up their lives on pretexts that are at best debatable. And you may feel that you have been unlucky. The further along you get in your life, the more missed opportunities you have behind you. The more paths you have chosen not to take it's easy to think that things could have been different. It's really easy to think that things could have been better. If you have significant regrets, and most of us do, I certainly do. You may feel as though you've been unlucky. You may think that you're on a losing streak. That it's been a while since you got a break or took a break, or got what you wanted, or were satisfied with the way things are in your life. It's easy to feel unlucky when things are unpredictable. A lot of the old bets are off. A lot of the old strategies are not working reliably, leaving you to wonder how reliably they ever worked. If our best thinking got us here, what does that tell you? It may tell you that you are entitled to a sense of feeling aggrieved, put upon put down, stepped on, otherwise unlucky. Maybe you feel as though you have powerful enemies that are responsible for your disappointments and deprivations in your life. Maybe you blame yourself. That can 
feel like a place of agency. Can feel more powerful to assume that you're responsible for your experience in its totality. And maybe that's useful as a thought experiment. There's danger in that, of course. Not the least significant danger being that you may blame yourself when there seems to be a pattern of things going wrong or things not going your way or quite your way or seeming to be going anybody's way. Sometimes a sense of bad luck can bring us together with others who feel the same way and might have ideas about the cause of the bad luck and want to do something about it. And getting together with people and doing something has benefits, regardless of what it is that you're doing. Although, some things are certainly more useful in some contexts than other things are in those contexts or others. Maybe there's nothing to do. Maybe there's just been a string of things that didn't work out for you and you feel like you're on a losing streak. And as though you have been or are unlucky. Today, we're going to help you get out of that. On Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes, production of Keichung, Los Angeles, 16.30 a.m. in the Chinatown area of the city. Worldwide on the World Wide Web at keichungradio.org. Dedicated site for the show is medicated-minutes.com. My name is... Emerson Dameron. I'm the writer, producer, director, the man behind the dream at Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. Music is by Chris Rogers. Everything else is by me. Strap in. Let's get lucky. On Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. When you get past the idea that you're responsible for everything, when you release your sense of full agency over your life experience and your feeling of responsibility for everything that goes wrong in your life, your sense of inadequacy and not being able to just get it together, as well as the entitlement that comes with assuming responsibility for your own success, which, of course, you couldn't have done alone. We're interdependent nodes on a network. You rely on benefits conferred by circumstance as well as the kindness of strangers and friends and associates. And luck. A lot of it is luck. And when you accept how significant a role that fortune plays in your life and the lives of others around you and the way that things are, you get into an interesting space. Here in the United States of America, we don't like to think too hard about luck. Those of us with 
money, power, and prestige like to take credit for those achievements and would rather not deal with the implications of the notion that their own good fortune creates obligations to those around them, that they are responsible for creating the kind of world that they want to live in and the more leverage they have in the way of cash and influence the more of that responsibility they might have. It's a lot easier if they just believe that they got it all from the sweat of their own brows. Likewise for those of us who have less in the way of power, prestige, influence, etc. There is some power to be had in taking responsibility for our own lives, taking stock of our work, and thinking we got ourselves here, we can get ourselves to wherever it is that we'd rather be. There are certainly things that we can do to improve our circumstances. And in some ways, it's easier and more compelling to take that attitude versus accepting the pervasive role that luck has played in our lives. But I would posit that acknowledging the role of luck in the vast amount of our lives that are really down to rolls of the dice and flukes of circumstance is a radical way to think. And it gets us into the realm of the weird, the taboo, because that's all part of America's shadow material. We believe in rugged individualism and that people make their own way in the world and that the market rewards the people who play the game better than others do. But when we set that aside and realize how much we still believe in luck in the realms of our union shadow material, whether it's buying lottery tickets or buying uh, obscure forms of cryptocurrency, making odd bets, playing games of chance, sometimes for stakes. We get into a liminal realm where new possibilities open up. Because we start to understand how scattershot, how seemingly chaotic, how strange life really is. And that's a realm to be explored in a spirit of curiosity and perhaps some levity, a sense of absurdity can help us deal with a world that is largely governed by chance in ways that we can barely begin to understand and could only begin to understand with mental muscles that have atrophied in our hard, rationalist, rugged individualist culture. And so the first recommendation that I would make if you want to turn around a run of bad luck 
is to venture into the twilight realms where the old and long-forgotten deities of chance still shoot dice on the corner. Over the last decade or so, the study of cognitive biases has entered the mainstream. Uh, There's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which popularized the work of Daniel Kahneman, one of the leaders in the community of scientists and researchers studying the phenomenon of cognitive biases, and introduced... Ideas such as the Ikea effect, where if you have a role in building a shoddy piece of furniture, you will have a greater sense of attachment to it than you will if you bought it already made or found it in an alley or acquired it by some other means, that putting it together is part of Ikea's value proposition because of the way your brain works and the way it attaches itself to your work bestows value in that. There are some obvious and very common ones such as the negativity bias which was developed in the early days of the species when we had to deal with a lot of violent tribal conflicts and large predators and nature was a more forbidding place. We were in a rougher environment and the risk of taking a risk often involved death or grievous injury. And the opportunity associated with taking a risk was generally not worth the downside. I would say in many cases that in the modern world that has flipped that the opportunities associated with taking many risks are much greater than the dangers and that we perceive danger that isn't there, especially when it comes to looking like a jerk or a clown to other members of the tribe who may laugh at us because haters are going to hate, but we will probably not be banished from the tribe, and if we are, we will probably not starve. And acknowledging our negativity bias gives us a little bit more power to lean into taking risks and feeling the fear and doing it anyway, as a popular self-help book put it. There are others. There's attribution error, which means assuming that people did things that you don't like because they're bad people versus uh, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they were doing something that they thought was good and you're interpreting it differently. Bad people do bad things is the essence of attribution error. The one that's arguably destroying the world is confirmation bias. That's our tendency to seek out information that confirms the things that we already believe and to interpret new information in a way that flatters our existing beliefs. And you could see the wreckage of confirmation bias all over the place. There's not much need to get into that. The interesting thing about cognitive biases and the cognitive bias that we're thinking of right now is the the notion of the hot hand. We are pattern matching machines 
we tell ourselves stories to survive and to thrive. We are storytellers and we interpret things in story structures. So if we have a number of good rolls of the dice, a number of lucky breaks back to back to back, we tend to think that something is going on. Some unseen forces are working in our favor. And often that's not the case. There's a excellent piece on the website 538.com by a writer who describes herself splitting in two as she's playing the game. There's the reporter, the detached analytical observer of what's going on who can see the poker player the other side of herself doing stupid things as a result of cognitive biases particularly the hot streak or the cold streak where she's changing her strategies in irrational ways based on these pattern-matching beliefs that a few good hands in a row means there's something going on and it's going to continue in that fashion, or a few bad hands in a row means that it's time to take bigger risks or take fewer risks, that you can determine what's going to happen next based on finding patterns in the things that have happened before that are not supported by the logic of the game. And she can see the poker player acting on these cognitive biases. And she, the reporter, is well aware of this stuff, has done research on it, written books about it, can't do anything to stop it. And that's one of the things that Kahneman has expressed as the study of cognitive biases has worked its way into the mainstream that it doesn't make a lot of sense to build a self-improvement program around the study of cognitive biases because there's not a lot that you can do to change them. That if you study cognitive biases with the idea of I'm going to root these out, and I'm not going to act like this anymore because now I know what's going on with my brain, and because of that, I can change it because I can do whatever I want. Knowledge is power. Doesn't work. Maybe you can move the needle a little bit in one direction or another, but just knowing about your cognitive biases doesn't mean you can stop them from happening. You're going to be human. You're going to have a brain that's a ridiculous piece of goo inside of your skull. And there's only a certain amount of agency that you can exercise over this. And that's assuming that you even exist at all. Which is debatable. If you are the one that's having bad luck, figure out who that is that you're talking about when you talk about you. Where is it located? Is it in your brain? I have looked for my you there and I have not managed to find it. Is it lower down in your heart? Perhaps in your genitals or the area of the root chakra. I can't locate it there either. There are a lot of different U's, which means that there is no one singular U. And when that U goes up in a puff of smoke, that can be exhilarating and liberating. Because if you're the one that's having the bad luck, then getting rid of you is the most efficient way to end that 
bad streak that you've been on. It's not for amateurs, but play around with it. Try it in a spirit of curiosity and levity and see how it goes. Designers of video games have an interesting challenge when it comes to engineering luck into the games. It's hard enough to engineer randomness into anything. There have been uh, fits and starts and a lot of failures on the path to getting computers to generate quote-unquote random numbers because it's very hard to do that and if you know how the computer is doing it you can reliably figure out what it's going to do next but even if you could engineer a randomness into a game that's not what today's discerning consumer of video games really wants. The idea of chance, of pure luck and randomness, means that if you flip a coin and it lands on tails, in no way does that mean that it's going to land on heads the next time. If you flip the coin 5,000 times, there's a decent enough chance that roughly 2,500 of those will be heads and roughly 2,500 of those will be tails, although probably not exactly. But the more you zoom in, the less those probabilities express themselves and the events of the world so if you're just relying on chance there's a very good chance that you could get five heads in a row and inside the mechanics of a game that would be very frustrating to a player who was counting on getting tails at some point if the idea is that you flip the coin three times and at least one of those is going to be heads, then it's in some sense the responsibility of the game designer to make sure that you get tails sooner than later. If you just sit there flipping and get heads ten times in a row, which is something that can happen in the real world, when we're talking about just pure chance, people are going to get frustrated with that game. And you want to keep them engaged, and you want to keep them playing, so you create a simulation not of pure chance or of randomness, as we might understand it, rather you cater to the idea that the player has about what the experience of, of randomness is. You flatter some of the cognitive biases in their brains. Poker is an interesting one because it's so old-fashioned that there's a lot more chance and luck involved in that than there would be in a complex, immersive video game experience where a lot of the stuff that happens is carefully engineered. It's a lot more intentional. Flipping a coin is a go-to example because it's pretty obviously just almost entirely luck what happens which means that over time it balances out to about 
six of one and half a dozen of the other, but in the shorter term, you end up with freakishly getting dozens of tails in a row, and you can't have that happening in a game that you want the players to love. So the designers create something that's not exactly chance or random in the way that we would always expect that to be. It's interesting how that sets expectations and some of the implications that that might have as we go into further into a world where I would posit we're going to have a lot more freak occurrences. Dramatic ones. I think we're entering an age of discontinuity. And I think getting into the liminal weirdness of luck of the old gods of fortune might be a better way to prepare for that than being carefully catered to. And I'm almost sure that it would be a more fun and entertaining and spiritually nourishing way to be. you've had this experience. You're in the middle of a job interview, a marriage proposal, or an attempted carjacking, and suddenly you become painfully self-conscious. Your breath and your heartbeat quicken. Your palms get clammy. You overanalyze every aspect of your performance, and sure enough, you blow it. You're turned down. The driver of the car gets away. You leave frustrated. How did this happen? Conversely, maybe you've had the experience of feeling as though you're on a hot streak. Everything seems to be going your way. You don't have to try. You wake up the next morning with a new job or a shiny, slightly used BMW in front of your home, and you can barely remember how it got there. There is a lesson here that is key to all areas of achievement in life. Great athletes, coaches, and wealthy business leaders know it well. Everything you need to know about peak performance can be learned from becoming an avid student and player of the board game Candyland. Since it debuted in 1949, the game of Candyland has changed. Beloved characters have come and gone. Rules have been altered so that, for instance, a player will lose one turn on the sticky spaces rather than potentially eight or nine. In 2013, a spinner was introduced so that players could get more physical exercise. But through all of this, the fundamentals of Candyland and of life have remained the same. It's all luck. Everything is predetermined, and there's not much you can do about it. You can try really hard and get mad and make a fool of yourself, or you can sit back, go with the flow, and enjoy the game. You can win, you can lose, True winners know that it makes no difference. In Candyland, as in life, the only skills that matter are basic counting, color recognition, and the ability to stay cool. When you realize that taking the secret pass through the gumdrop mountains doesn't make you special, 
any more than getting stuck in molasses, right, as you're about to rescue King Candy doesn't mean you did anything wrong, then you've unlocked the great wisdom of the ages. There's not much you can actively do to improve your performance in Candyland or your odds of success. It's all chance and maybe a little bit of gravity. You just have to relax, let it happen. Let the laws of physics and chance do their thing. The most challenging game you play in Candyland is psychological. It's the game you play against yourself and your desire for control, which is the truest sign of weakness. As it is in Candyland, so it is in life. If you get audited by the IRS, wreck your recently stolen BMW, or accidentally show up for someone else's job, or propose marriage to the wrong person, you can take comfort in the knowledge that there's nothing you could have done to stop these things from happening. Similarly, if you get rich, get famous, or get a CAPTCHA puzzle right the first time, it doesn't mean there's anything special about you as a person. That's just how luck played out this time. When you go straight to the peanut brittle house on your first draw, you may get a big head and think that you're special, or that this was the result of years of practice and hard work. Conversely, if you lose several consecutive turns, you may blame Lord Licorice for your woes, but Lord Licorice didn't cause you to suffer any more than you caused yourself to draw an orange card instead of a blue one. Lord Licorice is a fictional character. The only Lord Licorice that truly exists is the Lord Licorice in your mind. Sometimes you draw the ice cream sea and you may feel blessed by Queen Frostine herself. Sometimes you get stuck in molasses. A negative attitude will only make the molasses feel stickier. But a positive attitude won't help you much either and may make you look ridiculous to other Candyland players, particularly if they're more seasoned. The true goal of Candyland and of life is to see things as they really are. Whatever happens in Candyland or in life, it's all luck and none of it really matters. Remember this as you move your gingerbread pawn across the colorful board of life and don't miss the forest for the lollipops as you play the inner game of Candyland. There's a little trick that I have that makes me happy, or happier than I would have been if I hadn't been practicing it. And that's to always bet against the thing that I want to see happen. If the Dodgers are playing the Padres and I'm rooting for the Dodgers, I will always put my money on the Padres. That way, if the Dodgers win, my team wins, and if the Padres beat the Dodgers, I make some money. I win coming and going. I get to have it both ways. Life is suffering. Pain is inevitable. The best way to mitigate it is to give yourself a gift if you don't get what you want. And set it up so that you see the bright side of whatever happens. If you want to see a company fail, invest your money in it. If you're waiting for a bus, light up a cigarette if you smoke and that bus will arrive. I don't smoke anymore, but that's how I summoned buses in Los Angeles. 
I played a trick on my mind where I wanted something really badly. I was frustrated because I wasn't getting it. So I did something else that at the time I also enjoyed, but the enjoyment of that thing was contingent on the other thing that I wanted to happen not happening. And then the thing that I didn't want to happen seemed to happen as if by magic. Life is suffering. Go long on suffering. And you'll probably break even, at least. Here's a thought experiment. A man is hit by lightning seven times over the course of his life. Presumably he works in forestry, something that involves spending a lot of time outdoors. He's hit not once, not twice, not thrice, but seven times by lightning. And they are bad hits. He's been to the hospital. He's taken some physical damage. Some of it is irreversible. He's taken on some trauma and will likely never be fully the same as he was before getting hit by lightning seven times. And he has a lot of holes in his hat. Now, is the man unlucky because he's been hit by lightning seven times when most people don't even get hit by lightning once? Or is he lucky because he's been hit by lightning seven times and survived? Now think about this life. This life is packed stem to stern with all kinds of suffering. That's the first noble truth. We all, on, on all of us, a little rain must fall. Life is suffering. There's other stuff too, but there's a whole hell of a lot of suffering. And you have to experience it. For now. Are you unlucky or lucky? There's some pain and disappointment, possibly lost opportunities, maybe extremely traumatic experiences that you wouldn't wish on the lowest scum on earth. And I would certainly never encourage anyone to try to make the best of something before they've had a chance to process it. But it's interesting, at least, to think about how we are lucky in some ways and unlucky in others and always simultaneously lucky and unlucky. So I said in the beginning that if you listen to this show, you would learn how to get out of the unlucky streak that you feel like you've been in. So here you are. Here are a few basic tips on how to get lucky. Now that we've accepted that luck is a real thing, it's a governing force in our lives more than we like to accept in America that it's operating from the shadows where it's largely taboo and unacknowledged which gives it all sorts of occult power luck is real you want some you feel like it's been a while since you had it here are a few basic tips on how to get lucky number one Convince yourself that you are lucky, just by nature, that you've got lucky 
chemicals coursing around in your body that when you sweat, it smells like sugar cookies and luck. Convince yourself that that's the case. If you consider yourself a lucky individual and take on the optimistic mindset and view of the world that comes with that identity as much as you can and err on the side of optimism, look at risks as opportunities, realize that you're probably not going to die, you're probably not going to get excommunicated, it's probably going to be fine, and you might get something valuable, you might learn something, it might be funny. If you take that attitude, you will notice and perceive more opportunities presenting themselves to you. There is research behind this. If you assume that you're going to get lucky, you'll notice opportunities to jump into that and, and do what you have to do to make it happen. If you walk down the street looking for money underfoot, you will find more money that way than you would if you were not looking for it. And if you convince yourself that you are lucky, you go a good part of the way to making it so. Number two, avoid the unhappy and unlucky. This is one of Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power, and it may seem harsh, but you do end up taking on the characteristics of the people around you. If you're stuck with people who are unhappy and unlucky and not taking any initiative to dig themselves out of that, see if you can help them. And if you can't and they don't want your help, find some other people. Change the crew up. Again, it sounds a little bit harsh, but you can't fix people's lives. You can wish the best for them, but their own luck and their own karma is ultimately their own circus and their own monkey and their own business. And sometimes you just got to cut ties and get some new people in the crew. Be around people who you want to be like. Be around people who consider themselves lucky and create their own luck in their lives and take advantage of the luck that falls in there. Number three, don't have goals, have systems. If you set goals that are um, explicit, that depend on achieving some kind of objective in a certain amount of time, you may achieve them. It's probably easier that way than it would be without a goal, but you may be unhappy while you're working toward the goal because you feel like there's something missing in your life and you're not there yet and you can celebrate and relax and have fun when you get there, but not yet. Whereas if you have systems and you implement them in new situations, you will always accomplish something, even if it's just the impl implementation of the system. My suggestion would be to ask yourself in any situation, what can I learn from this and what's funny about this? And just go into parties or job interviews or whatever it is that you're doing with that system operating and see what happens. And you at least succeeded in putting your system into play. Number four, the optimists have all the fun. Remember that. Uh, if you're not an optimist, figure out a system that helps you err more on the side of optimism. I am very much a pessimist. Deep in my hardwiring, I believe, I think... It's probably nature and nurture and habits of mind, and there's only so much I can do to change that, but I think that makes it all the more important for me to err on the side of optimism when I can and to exercise 
the agency and the leverage that I do have in that equation and find and embrace the optimistic part of myself and bring it out of the shadow material that I don't typically identify with being a edgy, dark kind of guy a lot of the time. There's a lot of unused, optimistic potential. You, I can find that. I can embrace it. If I can do it, you can do it. Optimists have more fun. Number five, have fun. If nothing else, have fun with this. You may as well. Life is short. Death is certain. There's usually stuff you can learn. There's usually stuff you can laugh at. Chill out as much as you can. We like to pretend we don't believe in luck. We want to think that it's all skill. That can be a useful position to take. Uh, it can be useful just as a thought experiment to take responsibility for your own experience. If you're down, it's your responsibility to get up as much as you can. And if you're up, you don't need to share all of the spoils of that. You can enjoy your own good fortune because you probably did something to help create it. You strongly feel that you've earned it. You might get really sensitive when someone suggests that it's not yours because you want to feel like it is yours by virtue of your hard work the concept of personal responsibility is deeply rooted in American culture and it's useful in a lot of contexts and it is seductive. But the truth is, luck matters a lot and we still believe in it. If you observe the ways in which we act, we definitely believe in luck very deep down. That's a bias that we can't change. Or if we don't believe in luck, we certainly act as if we believe in luck. I said before that I tend to bet against the things that I want to see happen. And and that is true. I have receipts for it. But what I'm really betting on... I've, I'm a betting man, and I certainly am, is discontinuity. Chaos. Kali Yuga running rampant for years and years. Wedges of black swans. We've entered an era of discontinuity. And we are ill-prepared. The invoice for climate change came due a long time ago. Uh, none of the key aspects of the current lifestyle we enjoy on Earth are going to be sustainable. The things we are doing now to try to save the environment are things that might have done some good in the 1950s, but right now it's way too late. And it's too late for us to stay put. It's too late for us to keep this charade resembling an abundant lifestyle going. We've already lost the fight to maintain this status quo. It's already over and we're not ready for what's already happened. But we can adapt. And I believe that there's a better way of living on the other side of this. I think we can channel some of the resentment around the inequalities and in wealth and power and influence into 
building a society that's much more equitable, where we don't have to spend money that we don't have, where we live in harmony with the Earth and use the resources for mutual benefit, not just of each other, but for all life on Earth. I think that's possible, but I think it's going to take a massive shift in mindset to adapt to what's already happening and certainly what's on the way. But I think that we can get there if we truly open our minds, if we extinguish the uh, the you, hunt for it, fail to find it, and then realize that we're really just drops of drizzle falling onto the surface of the ocean, getting absorbed into a much larger flow of consciousness, of life. And embrace that side of our experience. I think that we can get to the other side. We can make the best of this. We can use our best strength, our best intelligence, and operate from the full capacity of our sense of humor. And do the damn thing. If we truly open our minds and truly operate from the peak of our intelligence, and of course with a little bit of luck, this has been Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes on K Chung, Los Angeles, 16:30 a.m. If you're in or around Chinatown in L.A., if so, it's the place to be. There's a lot happening. If not, you can still listen in worldwide on the World Wide Web, kchungradio.org. The site for Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes is medicated-minutes.com. The music is by Chris Rogers. I am Emerson Dameron. I am the writer, director, producer, and everything else on Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. And I'm solely responsible for its content. Levity saves lives.